you for joining us again on another episode of Mastermind Strength Conditioning Podcast. Before I get today's intro started, I just want to say happy Thanksgiving to everyone who's listening. Currently, this episode is going up a few days after Thanksgiving, but just wanted to give everyone out there uh, happy wishes and hopefully you guys had a great holiday and uh, safe travels there and back wherever you were coming from. Personally, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. I'm pretty sure it's the meal and being able to spend time with loved ones and family that really kind of puts me in a good mood. And I think it comes at a crucial time during the collegiate strength and conditioning school year where you just kind of grind it for three months, working with teams, getting done testing, and then you get this nice little break being around loved ones as you finish off the last couple of weeks of the semester. So it was a good refresh for me and I'm glad to be back with my teams. Currently right now the only team I have working with is track. All my other teams are done and kind of just on more of an optional drift lift style. So pretty excited to see where uh, track goes this year with me and uh, hopefully we have a good uh, spring season ahead. So for today's episode we are in our second uh, second episode of our series looking at sports performance coaches inputs on our exercise selection and program design. For today's episode, we are joined by Matthew Rodriguez of Campbell University. Uh, fun fact, kind of talking to Coach Campbell a little bit, learned a little bit more about him before we got the show started, and um, me and him kind of have a lot in common, and coming from the same area of kind of like Pennsylvania, Jersey, that Philadelphia area, he worked up at Sacred Heart University as a graduate assistant, I worked at St. Francis University as a graduate assistant, so working in the same conference of the uh, NEC, and also both had the uh, unique opportunity there to work with bowling. So it's always nice to find another strength coach who has that unique sport under their belt and kind of got to talk a little bit about how he trained them, how he worked with them, and how he kind of got them to buy into the weight room. I know that was one of my bigger struggles going into working with that team my first year as a graduate assistant. Coach Rodriguez really, um, I enjoyed talking with him. He was a great coach. Had a lot of good insight, and I'm pretty excited for you guys to hear this episode of the podcast. So without further ado, let's get today's sh- uh, show started, and hopefully you enjoy it. Coach Rodriguez, how are we doing today? Great. How about yourself, Coach? Uh, doing awesome, man. want to uh, just say thank you again for uh, coming on today's show and being a guest with us. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, awesome. Um, for anyone listening and all that, before we get today started, I just kind of want to give a little recap. Uh, for today's episode, we're continuing our series looking at getting sports coaches either more involved or less involved when it comes to program design and exercise selection. So that's kind of how we're running the topic today. We got a few questions lined up and hopefully uh, have a good little educated uh, conversation and see what you're doing over there at Campbell University. For uh, everyone listening, you, oh, you good? Uh, I think so. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear you. Perfect. All right. So, for uh, everyone listening today, you mind just giving a quick little uh, bio and background of yourself and how you got to Campbell University? Sure, yeah. So I, uh, I started off undergrad-wise. Um, I did two years of junior college at Mercer County Community College uh, where I played baseball. So I started off being a student athlete. Um, they actually had exercise science as an associate's degree there, which was kind of rare at the time. Um, so I started off there. I ended up transferring my junior year and finishing up at Montclair State University, which is a Division three school up uh, in North Jersey, kind of right outside of New York City. So I graduated with my degree in exercise science and then again finished, uh, finished playing out baseball there. Um, from there, I went into an internship role, so kind of starting that process of being a professional in the field. Um, I did that at University of Pennsylvania. Um, there I was under uh, Coach Jim Steele, uh, Christy Bartlett, Stephen Brindle, um, and the rest of their staff there, and that was great. 
Um, they have an amazing facility. It's in a great area of Philadelphia. Uh, and I really kind of learned a ton there working with over 30 varsity sports. So everything from football to baseball to basketball to uh, rowing, crew, uh, fencing, things of that nature. I kind of saw everything under the sun in terms of collegiate athletics. Uh, from there, I was lucky enough to accept a graduate assistant position at Sacred Heart University, uh, where I was mentored under uh, Coach Chris Fee and Coach Wayne Adams. Uh, same deal there. A lot of teams, 30-plus varsity sports. So the reason why I ended up there was because they gave me coaching experience right away. So I had six of my own teams, baseball, women's rugby, track and field throwers, bowling, equestrian, and cheerleading. And then I assisted full-time with football as well. So that kind of gave me, again, a broad spectrum of sports to kind of mold myself under and learn from and grow from, um, and as well as keeping that football aspect of it. Um, That's following awesome. my two years, yeah, yeah, it was great. It was a great time there. Um, really made some great connections with the people that, that I'll keep throughout my entire career. So um, following that, this past May of 2018, I finished up there with my master's in exercise science and nutrition, um, and I was fortunate enough to get a full-time position uh, pretty much right away, finishing up. Um, at Campbell University, where I'm at now as assistant director of strength and conditioning. Uh, my role has changed a little bit since I got here, but uh, this year we're rolling with uh, baseball and track and field throwers as my full-time sports that I directly oversee. And then I assist and travel with everything football. That's awesome. Kind of a little bit of a dream right there. I love working with our, our throwers here. They're just uh, basically just giant meatheads that like to get after it. So it's always fun training throwers. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome that uh, I forgot that you were up at Sacred Heart. I've actually uh, been in contact with uh, Coach Adams trying to get him on the show and just conflicting of scheduling right now. but haven't been able to get him on yet, but we've been in touch, and hopefully he'll be on soon. Um, where are you from originally? Are you from the Philadelphia area? Yeah, so I'm right outside of Philly in New Jersey, uh, kind of like the Cherry Hill, Morristown area. So I can get into Philadelphia in about 20 minutes. So when I was doing my internship there, I just kind of hop on the train and get right down to the center city. Okay, I'm from uh, I'm from Langhorne, Philadelphia. So when you said awesome, uh, yeah. Montgomery Community, I was like, I know that school. I was like, is that near me in Philly? So that's awesome, man. Cool, small world, man. For sure. So for today's show, I kind of want to get it started with um, looking at bringing sports coaches into our program design, how we exercise, uh, how we create um, exercise selection. So. From your uh, previous experience and past experience, how have you been able to incorporate your sports coaches into your process of strength and conditioning, whether that's program design, exercise selection, or just kind of getting them all on the same page, what you think is best for them and what they believe their team needs? Right. So I'll just kind of use Campbell as the, the measuring stick for this. Um, luckily enough, the sports I work with, they're, they're kind of hands off and they, they trust me with their athletes and it's, hey, here's the times you have, uh, do what you think they need. But I would say, first and foremost, getting started is just having essentially an open door policy where uh, nothing I do is a secret. You know, um, I think sharing kind of my plan with them, whether it's uh, conditioning, speed work on the field or uh, sharing weight room stuff that we're going to be doing, um, kind of sharing that plan with them at the start of the semester is super important. So I'll kind of map out all 15, 16 weeks of a training semester. Um, meet with them and be like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. All right, we want to start with this block and then transition. Here we might have finals, so we're going to back off a little bit and they're going to be in a flex lift time. So I think the biggest part of it is just being open with your staff 
Um, I think that kind of creates buy-in amongst them and, and they, they feel as if they have a little bit more input uh, where they can say, Hey, like, I like this. Maybe they don't like it for whatever reason. And at that point, then you need to kind of justify what you're doing to them just as you would with a, a strength and conditioning boss. No, that's awesome. I love how you mentioned like trust being the first one. And it's, it's the biggest one, especially coming into a new school. You're working with a new staff. You don't know who was previously there, what that relationship might or might not have been like. So definitely having that open door policy, I think is awesome. And sitting down with your coaches, I think we, as sport coaches, especially in, I know my situation, having so many teams, always making sure I'm going to see my coaches, talking to them sometimes can be little, oh, I'll talk to them next week or next time I see them, I'll talk to them. And then it's two months down the road and you haven't talked to them. So having that open door policy is awesome. Um, and you said you're very involved with baseball. Um, how often are you with your coaches? Do you pretty much talk on a daily basis, weekly basis, or are you pretty much there every day with them? I would say nearly every day in the fall time in terms of baseball specifically, uh, fall time pretty much at least six times a week, uh, whether their staff is in there getting workout on our off day or I'm at the field doing warm ups or speed, speed and change of direction, agility work with them. Uh, I think the kind of like you touched upon maintaining contact and maintaining an open dialogue with your coaching staff is paramount. No, absolutely. The uh, staff workouts, is that something you encourage them to do? Is that something they've always done, just coming to the weight room to get their own kind of workouts in? You know what? That's something uh, That's something they've always done, which is great. Coach Hare, our head baseball coach, um, he likes to get in there with his staff. And, for instance, on a, on a Tuesday and a Friday, we lift at 6 a.m. for baseball. So their staff is in there like 4.45, 5 a.m., uh, cranking the tunes, getting it going before those guys get in, and then – once our guys get in, it's either they're finishing up with arms or accessories in the backside or they're just in there encouraging the team. So uh, very welcoming and encouraging atmosphere for the guys, seeing them train. Um, and it's been great. Yeah, I think that's awesome. My, uh, my staff's big on coming in with the baseball lifts. They love seeing the guys get after it, but I haven't yet to fully commit them all to come in for a staff lift. If I get something in at like 10 or 11, I'll shoot them a text like, hey, we got some open hours. You guys are more than welcome to come in and get something in. It's always like, oh, we got lunch, we got meetings, or <laughs> doing this. So still trying to work on getting that staff lift. I think it, it would be valuable for them to see not only the kids lifting, but then like us as strength coaches we preach what we say like for me for the most part i follow my baseball guys program just because it's easy i don't have to program something different for myself or think about what i want to do it's like all right i can follow this they're getting strong i want to get strong or they're putting some hypertrophy work in sounds good to me it just makes it my life a little bit easier doing one less program for myself absolutely um for your 6 a.m. lifts, I want to talk about this because this is just purely uh, curiosity in myself. Has that always been something your baseball team has done, early morning lifts? Yeah, so we've actually transitioned a little bit different just in terms of uh, weight room availability. Okay. Um, last fall, we trained weight room-wise uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6 a.m. Um, after kind of scheduling for this year changed uh, with our football team, we kind of had to slide some things around, so... This year, we're rolling on a Monday at 2 p.m., which the guys love, <laughs> uh, okay. Tuesday at 6 a.m., and then Friday at 6 a.m. So a little bit different. I think for the most part, it's been a solid adjustment. Um, I know us as strength and conditioning coaches and our staff personally like the 6 a.m. lifts, uh, but I think it is helpful for the guys to not have that first day where they have to get in at 6 a.m. following a day off or a weekend. 
No, it makes sense. We run uh we run evening times here and I just feel like especially when we move in the fall ball, which I think is starting this weekend is our first weekend of their twenty hours they're allowed. It just seems the guys are dead. They're just out there for so long. Then of course that they're not eating. You're trying to make sure they get food from our fueling station before they get in. Next thing I know, I've wasted 20 minutes of the lift making sure everyone just gets a peanut butter and jelly in, some Gatorade well, before we even sit down to go over the workout. So that's that's interesting to hear that you can feel like your 6 a.m.s are productive. I've brought up a few times going earlier in the morning or afternoons, and our head guy's just said, he's like, nope, this is how we did it when I was at Clemson, so this is how we're going to do it here. And just kind of nod my head and go, okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's something where, again, it's kind of attributed to our staff where – they are of that mindset where, hey, let's get up, let's get after it early. You start your day with a workout, you know, you put in your training session, and then you have the rest of the day, you go to class, you get food, you have something to eat, uh, you rest up a little bit, and then their practice time is kind of right around now where it's like 2.30, 3.30 around there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's enough separation between weight room training session and practice where those guys can get a little bit of recovery in and, and be fresh or fresher than they would if they were to practice kind of back-to-back with lift. No, I think it's a great idea. I might uh, steal that concept. I just dropped some notes about that and might try to pitch it to my coaches moving forward. Maybe for October, we can give it a trial run. As we kind of move in here, you talked about trusting your, uh, having trust and having that open-door policy. How have you uh, been able to find the best way to educate your coaches in your training style and training design for your teams? Uh, I would say with that topic, it's really, again, just communicating with them. Um, I think... During the interview process, that plays a huge piece just in terms of laying the foundation for what you're going to bring to their programs, but really discussing with them kind of the direction you want to go with training, uh, where you might see some places of deficiency that need to be improved upon, what we're strong at, uh, that we kind of can place on a back burner per se. Um, But again, just really being open with them and saying, hey, this is where I think we're at. This is where I want to be. And this is how uh, we're going to get there, you know. So Mm -hmm. creating a clear line, a clear path for them to see um, ultimately will help them kind of understand what we're doing weight room wise. No, I think it it sounds like you have a great situation of they're being so intertwined with the team that the communication, the education part, they're seeing you every day. They're talking to you. That trust is built super quick. And with them being there during the lifts, they can easily see the progress you guys are making, though. So that's a great point. Um, kind of want to touch a little bit. I know your time at Sacred Heart working with bowling because um, I've been bowling at St. Francis as a GA and now here. And every time I talk to someone, they're like, well, what do you do for bowling? How do you do that? How is right. there any issues ever working with a bowling coach on maybe trying to do something different with the girls or even get the girls buy in kind of going even off topic about coaches here? Right. And a little bit in a buy-in about getting them into the weight room. Because it's, it's rare when I find someone else who's had bowling. So I'm always curious to see how those previous experiences have been. You know, that was uh, that was an awesome experience for me just in terms of uh, the type of athlete that you're dealing with. So there would be times where I'd be up on the football field at football practice. And then I'd go downstairs. I'd have a 9 a.m. lift with bowling. And I have to quickly change my mindset from yelling a ton or being super high energy with the football team. And then transitioning to a bowling team, which personality-wise, which uh, was a little bit more reserved. Mm-hmm. So in terms of buy-in with that group, I think that was gained uh, over time. You know, I tried to make it a learning environment for them where we didn't push too fast. You know, it was a GPP program, so we were doing lower-level things. But at the same point, I wanted to progress them and, and try to 
try to get them to realize that, hey, you're stronger than you think you are. You know, we can build some confidence that way. Um, and while it might not have the direct transfer to their sport, like we can still get something out of this. So just kind of creating an environment where they can thrive in. Uh, they can talk to me about things that are going on with their lives, just being a little bit more receptive to kind of what's going on with them during their daily life, I think helped improve that buy-in. No, that's, you nailed that on the head. I think the confidence thing is one thing that I've always tried to tell coaches or my interns coming in, be like, well, what do you do at bowling? How this? And it's like really just getting them to understand like they are capable way more than they think they are just because they think they're, they're bowlers and they don't really need this. It, strength and conditioning has a benefit for them, even if it's just for their health and well-being later on in life and learning these skills that they can use on as adults. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Awesome, awesome. I kind of want to move on to our last question, kind of wrap it up. But um, sport coach comes to you with a crazy new wild idea, exercise he saw on Instagram or a buddy of his told him about. He wants you to immediately throw it into the workout, doesn't really know what block you're in or doesn't really care. He just wants this crazy new exercise. What is the best way or – a way that you feel like you could just tell a coach no. Man. Yeah, that's a, I feel like that's a, a more recent topic where with Instagram and Twitter and all the social media venues that coaches can have access to and even athletes have access to. I think at the end of the day, you need to relay the fact that um, everything needs to be put in kind of perspective. So just because uh, LeBron James or whoever is doing such and such an exercise doesn't mean that uh, Johnny, whoever at Campbell University should be or is able to do that exercise, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, having them realize that maybe the athlete at Campbell needs to put on size and get stronger, whereas the professional athlete, you know, is already at peak performance where they're kind of just fine tuning things as they go. They're at a completely different end of the spectrum. So educating the coach on that process and allowing them to realize like, hey, all right, maybe we work towards that, but we're not even close right now. No, that's a that's a great one perspective. I know um recently I had a situation. I was I asked the coach, well, what's the thirty thousand view? Where does this fit in long term versus just the the micro here and now? And kind of was like, well, you know, it's this and that. I was like, all right, so you're looking at a professional athlete. What what caliber athletes are we dealing with in terms of just purely training age? And then it's just kind of one of those things that's, oh, yeah, yeah, cool, and trying to help them show, like, this is what the exercise is demonstrating. Say it's rotational power if we're talking baseball. Here's the three progressions we can do beforehand so then we can eventually build up to something similar that you want to get out of it. Right, and I think, I mean, at the start of each semester – with all of my teams, really, no matter where we're at, we'll start with a foundational block where we're going to go to uh, stabilization landings on our plyos. So we're going to stick each landing. Uh, we're going to go to a five by five, five by three kind of auto regulatory where I'm not necessarily prescribing weights, but I'm seeing, hey, uh, my junior went home. He's kind of surpassing numbers he hit last year, so I can adjust his training number. Whereas my sophomore who went home, he didn't really do much. So if I had prescribed a number for him, he might have gotten nuked during that set. So mm -hmm. I think really just um, kind of seeing it big picture and guiding coaches and athletes in that direction is, is a huge aspect of what we do. Absolutely. Do a lot of your baseball guys go to play a summer ball over the summer too? I'd say this year it was probably about half and half. 
Okay. So I feel like in the past, it's been a little bit more have played. Um, but a lot of our pitchers kind of totaled enough innings where they didn't go throw. Um, position guys, it was kind of, if you want to go play, then we're going to go play. Um, some of them were on a uh, limit where, like, we have one of our catchers who only played until July, and then he came back and trained with me. Um, so it's really kind of case-by-case case basis. But, again, there's there's a dialogue between the staff that we can talk about, hey, such-and-such uh, such player through this amount of innings, like, he needs to be shut down, whereas another player through 20 innings, and he can go throw 15 or 20, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because you mentioned foundation, I know with my guys, I feel like we always just need we need to revisit that foundation and maybe even express uh, take it out a few weeks longer than might allow in the semester. Just because our semester, I feel at least at A and T, is very short. I feel like once Thanksgiving comes, I pretty much am done with them. I lose another three weeks on the back end. I can't even train them as a team. It all has to be on a drift lift. So that going home summer ball with baseball specifically, it just feels like there's no real off season for them to kind of work on those fundamental movements, those fundamental movement patterns that just will benefit them long-term in their training and their playing. Right, and that's something I learned from uh, Coach Fee and Coach Adams at Sacred Heart where the start of each semester we kind of revisit those building blocks and our athletes' progression into more advanced training is kind of dependent upon them. So I kind of outlined that at the start, like, hey, if we put in the work on this stuff that we're doing right now, like some of you, this might be a regression, but we can still get something out of it. So put in the work on it, have a high attention to detail, really focus on what we're doing. And then if you show proficiency in those movements, then we'll move along and kind of push that trend uh, in a different direction. No, that's awesome. It's definitely the uh, same thing here, I feel like. And I just feel like every time we I do it here, I don't know if you have a similar situation. I feel like there's always one or two kids. My freshmen this year, I feel like we spent way too much time trying to learn how to hinge where it's just like, how is this pattern so difficult for you to – comprehend and then I got upperclassmen who are super proficient at just basic hinging and it's just like they start to get a little bored and it's trying to play this happy medium of teaching people bring up the speed but also keeping the attention of my upperclassmen so they're not kind of drifting off and doing something dumb in the background right and then I would say kind of to build upon that because um, similar situation here like then you look at your older guys your senior your junior leadership and then I put it on them and I'm like hey uh, you have three guys at your rack with you, maybe one other person's proficient, maybe two are, are new guys, um, become a leader, you know, and help those guys out. Like, I'm not the only one who can help coach at this point. I've kind of brought you to a position where you're comfortable doing what you're doing. You know the cues that I want. So now, hey, be a leader and help these guys out, uh, which is going to help their development in the long run. You know, they can't always hear us as uh, strength and conditioning coaches being like, hey, do this, do that our voice can kind of get stale over time. So mm -hmm. having those guys kind of take control of things definitely helps with that. No, absolutely. It's just baseball. There's, I think we have 37 kids in right now. It's impossible for me to see every little one. So I need, you're absolutely right with needing that upper leadership to start taking command and starting to be a player coach at the same time, if you want to call it that, and just kind of help make sure everything's moving forward. For sure. Awesome coach. Well, I truly appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm not going to try to, take all your time today. I know we got busy afternoons ahead of us, but uh, do you, if you would uh, mind leaving uh, some information for our listeners, possibly where they can f uh, follow you on social medias if you have any, or an email if they feel like reaching out and getting in touch with you? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I guess social media-wise, they can give me a follow. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Coach 
Matt Rod. So M-A-T-T-R-O-D. Um, that is my Twitter handle. And then email-wise, uh, feel free to reach out at any time. My email is M-E-Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z, at Campbell.edu. Awesome, Coach. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I truly ha- appreciate you having on, and uh, we'll have to get you on again, maybe do a baseball special one only. I mean, you can just chop it up at the end of this year's season. That'd be great. I appreciate it, Coach. Thank you, man. Have a good one. You as well. As I wrap up today's episode, I would like to just say thank you again to Coach Rodriguez for coming on the show. Really enjoyed talking to him and someone I personally know that I'll be going out to see out in Campbell. Um, lucky for me, he's not too far also in uh, North Carolina, so definitely need to schedule a time to go out there, see him, check out the facility, and get a little face-to-face time with Coach and actually talk to him a little bit more about what he's doing out there. For everyone out there who's listening and enjoying the show, please um, leave us a comment and review, whether it's on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. It's really going to help us grow this show and allow me the opportunity to keep putting out some content and hopefully with some more reviews, more feedback, the show gets a little bit more airtime. It'll allow me the chance to invest a little bit more into it, hope to deliver to you guys a little bit more higher quality or possibly even being able to get out and see coaches and have more face-to-face conversations for the podcast versus just always doing them over Skype. But until next time, thank you again for listening to Mastermind Strength and Conditioning Podcast.